been a while guys thanks for being patient today our guest is neil payton f-a-i-a lead ap c-n-u-a he's principal at tortigalis and partners a leading new urbanist firm where he directs the west coast office which is located in los angeles in 2016 he was awarded the paul crawford award by the california chapter of cnu His focus is on the public realm and creating socially, economically, and culturally diverse neighborhoods. His work really speaks for itself. He is truly a leader in the field. In this episode, we talk about how the pandemic will transform our spaces from the actual buildings to the urban and public realm. So we cover it all. And all this is based on Neil's article, which um, he published recently and link in the show notes for that if you want to check that out we touch on stairs retail public transit building height taking over public space just to name a few listen to this episode and you will have some tools to add to your quiver it's great stuff so enjoy it and thank you so much for taking the time neil Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So I first wanted to ask you what the difference between density and crowding is. And maybe if you could explain that and talk about that. Sure. And I think that in the age of COVID is a very important question. I mean, density is quite literally a measure of how many let's say living units there are in a particular area or frankly a measure of of any kind of space as compared to a specific geographic area. So you hear things like a number of units per acre. Um, So, you know, big cities might have uh, densities of, you know, 200 units an acre, whereas small towns might have densities of three units an acre. Crowding is actually a measure of how many people people are actually within a a small geographic area. So I might have a low-density area, but have a lot of people in one house. So I would have crowding even though I have a low-density area. If I have a big city with 200 units an acre and every one of them has one or two people in it, that's not crowding. That is density, but it's not crowding. So they're very different. Crowding tends to be a function of income or job description. For example, if you work in a a meatpacking plant or a crowded factory of some sort, uh, it also can be a function of behavioral choices. You might go to a large party. uh, You might go to a big funeral. or a bar uh, that's mm. that's crowded. So that can be that can be crowded, but it's not the same as density. I see. And so the the important aspect of this is that with COVID nineteen and the pandemic, we have to draw that line because density is not, I guess, be the 
reason for like spreading the disease, but crowding is really the bigger reason for that. Is that? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, this is important because during the first month or two of the pandemic, when certain areas, particularly New York, were being hit hard by the pandemic, there was an assumption that density is what's the cause and we should all move out to the suburbs because that'll be a safer kind of situation. In fact, as the pandemic wore on and appropriate measures were taken in some places and not in others, we saw people's behavioral choices. We began to see that it was not, that density was not uh, the, the issue at hand here. Rather, it was an issue of crowding. And in some cases, simply bad behavioral choices. Uh, that's very important going forward because as we eventually come out of this pandemic and but people sort of want to learn the lessons of it, we should learn the lesson that it is the crowding that's the issue, right? But the density, which is a very important component of getting other things right in our cities, was not the issue. And when I say yeah. other things right, we have other public health issues even as COVID ravages our country. We, have issue, we still yeah. have issues of obesity, heart disease, mm -hmm. diabetes, and other diseases that in part relate to the lack of physical activity. And yeah. having a, an, a more urbane and a more walkable and somewhat denser environment than we might find in typical post-war suburbs is an important part of increasing physical activity, and decreasing those other uh, health-related uh, issues. Those issues will, will be with us long after COVID-19 has gone. Yeah, um, for sure. I, uh, I agree. And a lot of those other issues are oftentimes precursors. You know, you're more susceptible maybe with obesity and these other issues to COVID-19, let's say. So maybe like getting forward momentum and getting people to have be healthier in general is a good strategy, you know, and having more density is a, is a great way to do that. So yeah, no, great point. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So now I, I want to, I think what we should jump into, or I eventually want to get us to cities, but I think right now we should speak about like buildings themselves. Like how are those, like how is the architecture going to change right now? You know, I think the, the most obvious are, people's concern about getting into elevators. Uh, so that obviously could impact yeah. having very dense buildings. Uh, it, uh, on the other hand, say three, four, five-story buildings, which will have elevators nonetheless, might be designed to have very visible staircases so that at least those who live on perhaps the second or third floor might find it compelling to walk up the stairs rather than use the elevators. Not only does that diminish their exposure, so to speak, but it also gives them a little bit more physical activity. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's certainly a, a, a something that's out there. I think we're likely to see things like hand washing stations in the lobbies of buildings, um, which is not a bad idea. Uh, more, you know, you, you likely see things like that. Um, you know, we're likely to see the use of, of door handles and doorknobs and things you touch to be made out of yeah. brass or bronze, which is an older, oh, these are 
more older materials, but they're made of copper. And copper, it turns out, is naturally resistant to virus spread. Uh, huh. So it's a, a, bilar, a bizarre, you know, an, know an odd little scientific uh, kind of fact. You know, those things could come back into play. I could see like a, almost like a shipping center becoming a thing, like having some sort of house shipping center. I could also see, these are just ideas, um, maybe like some sort of like bathroom as a wellness center. So with more remote healthcare, bathrooms are going to be more important for that aspect. I I haven't thought of that, but I think that's a, that's a great observation. Uh, I would also, prediction is not as hard as yours. (laughs) I also think that, you know, you're going to see, you know, there, there has been a trend toward healthy or well buildings that has been ongoing now for at least the past five years or longer. Uh, certainly, you're going to see that trend rev up uh, even more. Totally. In particular, things like air filtration systems. You know, the last uh, time I was at a builder show, this is where companies go and, you know, sell their wares. One of the big things that was being pushed were these very state-of-the-art air filtration systems for apartment buildings and even single-family homes. Um, That was before the pandemic. I think you're going to see that really uh, rev up uh, in the future, uh, to be sure. So I think those are all in in the mix. I also think that all of us have been challenged by um, the, you know, working at home. And I think if you live in a house, you might be able to find a place that you can work easily. But if you live in a small apartment, that might be a little bit harder. And, you know, I think we're going to see a trend uh, in some of the ground floor space that was devoted, that was, um, let me see, allocated for retail in a lot of apartment buildings. You're going to see some of that be turned into kind of a the equivalent of we work spaces, rentable office spaces by people in the building, uh, you know, as a way to have a place to work without necessarily going into the office uh, all the time. So yeah. I, I, I would, I mean, we're already seeing that. We're already designing for that. Yeah, you, um, I think, could you also comment on like the public space or like getting outside of your own house, like through, I don't know, different, porches or something and I'm sure you know I think in the very beginning of the pandemic we we were treated to stories of people in Italy singing in the courtyard of their apartment building singing opera or singing the Italian national anthem and these were stories that I think delighted people because it was a symbol of humanity and it was a way of people kind of trying to be public at a very safe distance well, over time, those of us now who've you know been in our homes for six months, let's say, and we're you know figuring out how to cope and all, we've those of us lucky enough to have porches or to have some or balconies or something that allows us to go outside of our apartment or our house and see other people. I mean, that's become really, really important. Quite frankly, that was always important. The concept of sitting on one's stoop before there was air conditioning, uh, the concept of sitting on one's porch to see neighbors as they walk by. These are things that mm-hmm. many people think are old-fashioned or, and even laugh at. But quite frankly, these are things that 
have always helped us get to know our neighbors, that have helped us be part of some larger um, world. And I think that uh, those will, we've grown a newfound appreciation for those spaces. Uh, in the case of apartments, they're not just places to stick your bicycle, uh, but really <laughs> places to, to live and to wave to people. Um, I think that uh, uh, we're gonna, we've grown to appreciate them again, and I think you'll see them making a, a really big comeback in places that, that have forgotten about them. I think another good point you brought up in the past or in the article was that you talked about four-story buildings and Christopher Alexander and how with four stories, you can hear people from the street. And so now you can connect, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but you yeah, can so, hear them from the street. Now you're doing that uh, sort of yeah, distancing. Absolutely. You know, Christopher Alexander, who, who uh, was, a, was a great urban theoretician and I will say great observer of urban life. Uh, was a professor at UC Berkeley. He he wrote many books, but the the one that I think everybody, uh, not everybody, but I think a lot of people know of is a pattern language. And uh, he made a lot of just interesting observations. And that was a really one that was always very um, uh, important to me. Um, The idea that if you were on the fourth floor of a building and you went to the window or you went to your balcony, you could still have a conversation with somebody on the street. But above that level, it was increasingly difficult to do so. So there was a kind of removal of of the occupant above the fourth floor. Now, that's not hard and fast rule. Some of us have louder voices. We probably could get to the fifth floor. But but it's it's a nice way of thinking about a kind of good density for the city that four-story yeah. buildings, maybe even five, these are about the limit that you can have a, have a connection to the people in the windows above. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen in like the um, Jan Gell Cities for People book, he, he prescribes five because that's the last story that you could see someone's face or make out someone's face. Sure. So I like, um, like four stories though because you could hear someone. <laughs> Either way, uh, I can, I can, you know, I think if we, if we get down to the uh, to that level of uh, parsing, then I think we're in good yeah, shape. In there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Then let's hop into the city scale. Sure. Um, so where where would you like to start? What what do you think's going to be changed like in urbanism from COVID nineteen? Well, let me start. Let me back up a little bit. I'm old enough to remember predictions that were made. I want to say in the 1980s, maybe, that cities were going to become obsolete because we could all, we would all be able to work from our home computers, which were really pretty new then. And we would never have to go to an office and never have to interact with people because we could do everything from our home on our computer. This was, these were predictions made by, by folk in the 80s. And you know, most of us laughed at those and at the same time worried that what if they're right? Um, because we love cities. I love cities. <laughs> and of course, none of, that didn't come true. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has be, become more of a threat than, if you will, the, that other prediction. Because now our life depended on some sort of distance. And here's what I've observed. We have a hard time getting over or 
breaking the back, breaking the curve of the pandemic, because we humans love being with other human beings. We, we are a social species. And I don't care how much work you can do at home, and, you know, and I've done a lot of it, I still need to go outside and see humans. And I want to eat in a restaurant again. I want to go to a movie theater. I want to go to the beach and see people and not have to wear a mask and worry that I get too close to them. So I think most of us humans, this is how we survived as a species. We worked together. We collaborated. Uh, and we, we like generally do, we generally like doing that. So what does that mean for oh, city? Yeah. So it means that there's a reason for cities over and above our need to work in the same office or in the olden days for protection. We don't even have to exchange money in person, but we still have this innate nature. It's in literally in our DNA to be with other human beings. And that is the crux of the issue now we, with, as I said, breaking the curve of the pandemic. We tend to not do the social distancing we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, you know, young people are accused of that even more than others because they're even more social because they want to be with others because this is part of how we sustain our species. So we have to, so what is, what is the result of that? Well, I think that, sure, we may not need to all be in 50-story office buildings all the time doing our work. Certainly, we can work sometimes remotely. Uh, we may not always need to be going uh, to the store to buy things, but then again, we weren't doing it even before COVID-19. Amazon was getting a lot of our business already. But we will still need to walk to places, to bike to places, sometimes to drive to places, um, to be with other humans, because sometimes that's more important than what we can accommodate or accomplish online. I happen to think this very much supports, let us say, let me call them the moderate density neighborhood, the kinds that support walking, provide eyes on the street in the form of the porches and balconies that I was just referring to earlier, and the, the small local stores or bodegas that allow only a certain number of people in at any one time. These places right now, these are acting as staff for our are wounded psyches. And what you hear about consistently, the stories that one reads almost on a daily basis are these stories of folks thinking up new and creative ways to rediscover their neighborhoods, whether or not it's reclaiming some of their street space because we have way too much of it now. We don't have all those cars on the street right now. So we're reclaiming it in the form of, of outdoor cafes uh, and the like. We see these parklets that are occupying formerly occupying what were formerly parking spaces for places to um, sit at a cafe. Um, I can imagine that some of these experiments, which are going on everywhere, literally I'm guessing in almost every city in the country, some of these experiments will become permanent. These were, let me say, tactical responses to the current situation taking advantage of the availability of extra speeds, streetscape, street space, and also a desperate attempt to 
um, animate local businesses who were dying on the vine from no customers. And we're going to find that we like some of them. And some of them are going to become permanent, I think, because they're so good. And we would have not, we would have never done these without the pandemic, or we might have done a couple and we would have been really slow. And, you know, in California, we would have done an environmental impact report to study whether or not we could close a space. But I think these are going to become an important part of the future. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, so you and I in Santa Monica on Main Street, which is sort of like a popular commercial center, it's totally changed the street as far as they... Amazing. There's no going back now with the pedestrianism that it's brought. I got to think you're right. I I mean, I, I believe you're right. I don't know that all of those spaces, that all of that will remain. And I think there will probably be some sorting out that takes place. Um, But I think some of it will remain. And, and as much as some of us argued for these kind of things in the past, it was hard to get any traction with them all of a sudden, boom. Mm-hmm. So, and, and as I said, this is a phenomenon that I've seen or read about or heard about across the world, uh, literally. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a permanent change. Um, yeah. The thing that I would yeah. say worries me a little bit um, is the hit to public transit. I mean, yeah. clearly there's been a hit. Um, I, um, I think that transit will recover. I think it has to recover because the idea that all of a sudden everybody's going back to their own car is not only is it an unsustainable, uh, condition from an environmental point of view, it's not possible from other points of view as well. We don't literally have enough parking for all those cars anymore. We've, we've transformed so many cities away from the reliance on having to park cars uh, that we literally have to make public transit yeah. work. Yeah. It's, it's sort of counterintuitive when you're starting to take some of the street back for people and, and then more people are driving. There's no way it's going to occur. Continue. I agree, but it's essential. Um, it's essential because as I said, going back to the other public health crisis we have, which we had before the pandemic, uh, we need the only way we're going to become a healthier species is if literally we make cities um, healthier places to be. And the only way we're going to do that is to make them places where it's comfortable, convenient, and safe to walk or bike. And that's critical. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the sort of key question I think that's going on is where will transit go? You know, like I, I think what you said, you brought up some points in your article on how we should sort of get the ball rolling to get back into it. Maybe could you talk about what things would have to occur for us to start doing that? Because I think that's important. Like what's next and how do we, yeah, how do we bring it back? It's very possible that for a while uh, after the pandemic, people will still be wearing masks in these kind of public places. You know, if you go to, if you went to China or, uh, two years ago, three years ago, you'd see that was normal anyway, because the pollution in places like Beijing yeah. 
are so huge that people were wearing masks. So just kind of a normal thing. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but I think you're going to see that, um, you know, we might be wearing uh, masks, even gloves uh, on uh, transit for a little while beyond, let's say, a vaccine. If we think of the vaccine as sort of the beginning of the end, which we assume is going to happen, or a treatment at least, that beginning of the end will take some time to reach the end uh, for, for the herd immunity to build up and the like. And I think we'll be still be using those. I also think that there will be um, probably, and I'm sure, and there is there are studies going on right now of best practices for transit riders. There might be, and for a while, limited on that amount of seating, uh, whatever. Um, I know in many places, uh, bus, the buses have become free so that you can get on in the back of the bus so you don't come near the bus driver as you get on. Um, I think those are practices that will probably be with us for a while. But the good news is, wouldn't it be great if we could make buses free anyway? Uh, wouldn't it be great if, if taking a bus did not require you to shell out money? Now there you're talking some serious competition for other forms of transportation. So, you know, I think that the, the buses, the transit will become, have to become a little more competitive in that way. But I also think the best practices will, 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 uh, will take over as well. Um, and over time, I'm guessing that will, those requirements will also dissipate or fade as, as we move ourselves away yeah. from this particular horrible yeah. episode in our history. Definitely. Yeah, it's going to be a gradual thing, but I guess we'll, we'll climb out. Hey, this has been fun, Neil. Like, is there anything else that you think that the listeners should hear? Or do you want them to hear? Yeah, I mean, and maybe this is maybe this should have gone earlier, but you know, I think that um, well, I said we were a social species, and it's in our DNA. And I talked about the importance of walking. I didn't actually state, and I think this is really important. Um, we're also a walking species. Um, the the evidence. The archaeological and anthropological evidence, I am told, because I'm not a scientist in that area, I'm told supports the idea that prehistoric man walked about nine miles a day and prehistoric woman walked about six miles a day on average. So um, that means that our bodies are literally have evolved for that kind of activity. And when we don't use our bodies in that way, we are, in a sense, working against that evolutionary characteristic and probably not doing ourselves any good. So that continues to support the need for... Um, a walkable environment in order to save ourselves, save our health. Hell yeah. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> this well, has been fun. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to people. talk to you and, and, and your yeah, listeners, yeah. your subscribers. Thank you. So uh, where can people see your work and uh, if you hey, would like them to? Sure. Uh, I would ask that they go to our website at uh, www.tortigalis.com. That's T-O-R. T-I-G-A-L-I-S 
N-E-A-L-L-A-S.com. And they can follow me at at Neil, N-E-A-L-I-P. Cool. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Neil. Thank you, Stig. Talk to you later. Hey, guys. That is all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, just send to humancitypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up at Twitter at humancitypod. Or even Instagram at human.city. I love listening. I love hearing it. Please, guys, absolutely anything. I'd love to talk. And that is it. I'm Stig. Goodbye, goodbye.